So welcome everyone. Uh, welcome to one more podcast from the International Society of Hypertension, the Mentorship and Training Committee. Uh, and today we have like the pleasure to talk to a great uh, mentor to uh, many, many people, not only in the States, but in the entire world. So with me, I have like, oh, I have Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie Watts, which is a professor of pharmacology and toxicology at the Michigan State University. And in addition to the great science that Stephanie does, and if you see her lectures or her, her talks, you're going to know what I'm talking about. She's also a great advocate for early career researchers and mentees in any stage of their career and any age. She's very passionate, not only about her research, but also about helping people and getting people further and supporting, like creating like a supporting net uh, to people during their career development. And um, if you don't know me, I'm Augusto Montesano Oguro. I'm part of the MTC from ISH and I'm from the University of Glasgow. So with that, I just wanna say welcome, Stephanie. It's a huge pleasure to have you here. I'm super excited uh, for our chat and I hope you are too. Oh, Gudo, I absolutely am. I, I'm at the point in my career where this is what I love doing. I know how much the mentoring that we're gonna talk about has meant to me. And it, it's rich to be at a point where I think I can actually do something to help people. This is one of those things. So just to get the everything started, Stephanie, uh, let me know if you, uh, if you don't hear me, like something goes wrong and then we can uh, go all, sure. on and on. So could you just tell us a little bit more, like how did you get involved with the field of hypertension and what made you, made you decide to, to uh, pursue a career in academia? Oh, so can I give a little bit of family history? Good yes. That I, I think it gives some insight. So I was born on the campus of University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. And if any of you have ever been there, it's got the most fantastic quad. And apparently that's where I learned to, work, to walk. My father was a philosophy uh, professor and he was chair of that department for quite some time. So I've grown up in an academic arena all of my life. I remember growing up and having grad students uh, who would come to my mom's and dad's house because they got fed, right? That was a really important thing when you're in grad school. And learning has always been a part of my environment. So while at the University of Illinois, I got to go to a very special high school. It's called University High School, also known as Puny Uni because you did seventh and eighth grade in one year, and then you did high school years. So we were 11 when we started in the school. We were puny. And it's there that I fell in love with science. I had a high school chemistry teacher and her name was Ruth Poling Kinder. And she made the periodic table come alive. My mind was literally blown when I realized how people could orient the elements based on the free electrons that an atom could have I, I was to this day, that still blows my mind. And it turns out that she had a husband who was a grad student working in the chemistry department. So they helped me through summers in high school. I worked in labs, I put together chemistry labs, and then I got to work in his lab in the summer where I had very first taste of research. Right? I went to college at the University of Illinois, majored in chemistry, and I got to teach my last two years as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I discovered in the last year is a course called drugs. 
right? So you see a course like that in your course catalog and said, I gotta know what's in that course. And it turned out it was this thing called pharmacology that I hadn't known. So that got me to my PhD in Indiana University. And I was really lucky to do my PhD at Eli Lilly. So Eli Lilly is the international headquarters of the company, Eli Lilly. Most of you probably know it as a place that manufactures Humulin and also Prozac. Those are two of the most popular and best known Lilly products. Well, my mentor was the most senior female researcher in the field and she studied serotonin. And in fact, one of the people who discovered, helped discover Prozac, Ray Fuller was on my thesis committee. So I did a lot of very basic research in serotonin, but knew right there that that kind of research was probably not gonna be that thing which was funded in academe. And Guda, one of the reasons I went to academe is because I relied on my thesis committee. And probably a year before I was getting ready to be done, I asked them, how do you see me? Right, so they'd seen me teach, they see me in lab, and they said, Stephanie, you need to be an academe. Right, you'll go nuts wearing pantyhose in a business every day. You won't have students that are there and you won't have the intellectual freedom that we think defines you. So I went to an experimental biology meeting for those who are uh, not familiar with that, that's where a number of the societies in the US come together. And I looked up people ahead of time and I met a number of different individuals to potentially do postdocs with who could take my love for serotonin into a way that I thought would be uh, more approachable. And, and that's where I met with the lab of Dr. Webb who was then at the University of Michigan and he became my postdoc mentor. Uh, one of the reasons, and he's probably going to hurt me for telling you this, that I thought he was wonderful to go to is I knew I wanted to have a child while I was in this postdoc position. And a number of people I talked to would say, well, if you want to do that, you really probably shouldn't come here. And I asked Dr. Webb, what would you do if I had a child while a postdoc? And he thought about it and he said, well, I'd bring you a baby gift. Right, so... That's really how I got into academia, Guido. So it was not necessarily a straight track, though I went straight from college right, to grad school, to postdoc, to where I am now at Michigan State University. But my love for serotonin has really been the thing that's gone all the way through. Right? So because of Dr. Webb's lab, his lab is immersed in vascular dysfunction and hypertension. That's really how I got to hypertension. Right. My first council on hypertension meeting, which again, some of the listeners here may be and may have gone to, was in 1992. And I remember being so scared. I was terrified. This is when the meetings were in Cleveland. I knew absolutely zero people. Nan Kanegi was, was another postdoc in the same lab. She introduced me to everybody. Oh, I remember my knees shaking, Guido, thinking, how am I going to learn all this stuff? How am I going to know all these people? And uh, nearly 30 years later, right, here we are. So that's my answer to you. That's, it's true. Like, it's, it's, it, it is an amazing uh, story. And, like, even, like, uh, for people that wanted to, uh, to have, like, a personal life, too. Because there is this stigma, right, that people think, like, oh, if you're on science, it's very hard for you to have a family or for you to have, like, a personal life. But I think, like, you showed in, like, the, your answer as well that, it is possible. Like you just need to have the right support and have determination, right? Well, it is. And I have to say all along, 
my husband has been an immense supporter of my scientific career. He recognizes the nerd that I am. I, there's just no hiding it, right? <laughs> I'll lose my train of thought. I'll be thinking and walking into things. And I, I'm a well-dressed absent-minded professor, but I'm still an absent-minded professor. So I've had his support, my dad's support who gets it. Now, I asked my son, who my youngest son, who's now 23, I said, did you ever, were you ever upset with me? Because I would go to this meeting or I would clearly be thinking about this. He said, well, mom, when I was little, I didn't understand it all. But now that I have found the passion for what I do, I knew you had to do what you were doing. And I can't tell you how many people I brag uh, about you because he could see that passion and that commitment. Right? One of the things a dear friend and, and now chair of physiology at University of New Mexico says, Dr. Nankanegi, she said, I'm a better scientist because I'm a mother and I'm a better mother because I'm a scientist. Right? I may not go as far as fast as other people do, Godo, but I feel really good about being able to do both of those things. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. Stephanie, like in, in, in your answer, you mentioned the, the constant hypertension, your first meeting and, and everything, but you became oh. like a, a key oh. member of like the AHA constant hypertension. Uh, and yeah. like for uh, for us trainees, like you're, you're, that's why I call you the the, fair, the trainee fairy godmother. Because <laughs> that's you, one of my favorite nicknames, Gudo. <laughs> <laughs> you basically started, you know, the whole advocacy and then you started like the trainee advocacy committee in that particular society. Uh, so that shows that, that you were committed to, uh, you know, participating in societies, committees, and I guess like that somehow play a role in the advancement of your career. Can you tell us a little bit of that experience and how that work, that volunteer work in a professional society helped you to move forward and how hard or easy that was? <laughs> so it is necessary, right? For any of you who want to go into academe, uh, and I can't speak to industry, but you know that service is a part of what we do because you learn your scientific community. So I purposefully chose two different societies to be very involved in. The first is the American Heart Association Council on Hypertension. And then the other is ASPET. That's the American Society for Pharmacology and Experimental Therapeutics. And I had mentors in both that could help me network and get me on particular committees that, that I was well suited to. I, and I'll give you an example in ASPET. I was chair of their graduate recruitment committee. I was on their centennial committee. Uh, I have been their chair of their cardiovascular uh, division. Uh, and I've been on multiple. Society worked and how a society could be able to help somebody like me. And they do, right? By doing that, you can learn, all right, so when do you put symposia on? And who are really the people that are gonna help you make that be what you want it to be, such that you have strong scientists, science you are really interested in. Yeah. And yes, that can promote your science, but it can also help promote other people. How do publications and journals really work? Right? I, blew my mind with the first publication meeting that I went into ASPET to learn just what a great percentage of the society's working dollars depends on having a journal. It's 80%, if not more. It's not your membership dues, right? It's what you pay for those journals. 
that has certainly changed, right, in our world. But I got a real sense from there and then from the Council on Hypertension of what I needed to do. I've been on leadership, on programming, on publication. Uh, I did start the Training Advocacy Committee uh, at Council after having run the Hypertension Summer School for two years. And, and I think good, I, I tested it out. Right? I did other committees. I've done committee work all across the world. And as I grow older, I'm, I'm watching myself focus more and being more selective about the things I do now that I know how things work. Mm -hmm. But getting into those committees, just like getting on a study section to review a grant, there is no better way to learn. Mm -hmm. There's no better way to learn than to listen to someone talk about a grant. So yes, it does take time, but I would state that, that that's investment in yourself. You do need to have mentors. And I had mentors when I'd come by and say, do you think this looks okay? And they tell me, you know, Steph, that's just too much. You need to put that away. You need to put that away. Or this is what you really need to focus on. So what it, what it did is teach me about those things that you're not going to read about anywhere <laughs> that you just have to do to learn. And all of those things help with that magical thing we call networking mm -hmm. of making sure people that know you are present, you are engaged, you are involved, and you're willing to work right yeah. now. So here's unsolicited advice to anybody who wants to get on a committee. If you get on a committee, really be on a committee. This does not mean your name is just on there so that you can put your name on, your, on that CV or that name of the committee on the CV. You need to be present and you need to work and you need to not be passive but active because people will know are you the person that will step up to do and say, I'll do it, right? Not that you have to do everything, but at least that you show up, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. And, 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 I, and, and if you know, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and it, it, it was the same for me, right? So, and, uh, and I enjoy it very much because yeah. you, you learn so much from different people. And now that I, I am in the in this committee, like yeah. the mentorship and training committee for the an international society, so ish, it, it's amazing because in addition to that, you get to know so many international people. So I'm meeting a lot of like let's say researchers from Africa, and it's amazing to know the even like yeah. the exchange of the experiences, like to see how uh, science and how things work there, uh, and you go like wow, it's the systems are completely different, but people are still has the you know that drive like to 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 be in the career and and, and do science and it, it it is very rewarding. So so one of the things committees do too is, is they, they remind you that we work together, right? And in mm -hmm. science, there's always that edge of competition, right? You want to be the person to do this and to publish this and to get that grant and otherwise, but we can go so much farther by working together and recognizing that helping your next door neighbor is not hurting you. You know, that reminds me of once right? like in the lab, there was this postdoc. <laughs> I was so, I was young, naive and without filter, right? So uh, the postdoc was doing a lot of work and, <laughs> and he asked me to help. And I was like, okay. And then we had so many things to do. And it's like, oh, I just need you to cut the heart. And I was like, oh, but you need to sacrifice, you need to, like the teachers need to do this, this why i'm just cutting the heart i thought about that and then i was like oh okay so she just started and we just getting to know each other but i'm very like not mouthy but like i, I 
I sometimes speak my mind. No, I a lot of times speak my mind. <laughs> no filter is like, a good thing. <laughs> and then she goes like, what do you think? Like, you think everything is okay for you? I was like, yeah, I just think you're stupid because I'm not <laughs> help you. Like, I'm not doing anything else. So like, why don't you give me more things so then things go faster? And then she's like, oh, I didn't think about that. I felt like you were, I don't know how much you're willing to help. And I was like, a lot. Let me help you. Like, you know, let me like, whatever is going to take a whole day is going to take half day. And I, and I think like, that's what I'm saying, like about everything, like we need to help each other, especially nowadays, like COVID and everything that's happening. If we don't help each other. We are pretty much done. It is, it is. But p- part of that, the learning that you do along the way, and it never stops, Gudo. Right? I've been a full professor for 16 years and I'm still, I, I hope I learn on the day that I die, that learning and then being willing to help someone necessarily makes you vulnerable right because you're showing people what you don't know and you're saying I'll give you this here is my help here's my time here's my wisdom Uh, be respectful of it but it's yours here and you you just hope that people will do that yeah and and I think most people are, are are very very good about it we have the opportunity all the time to do things like this I I always hope we can let that competition edge and mm-hmm. just forget about it for a little while so and you mentioned uh you have a lot of mentors in these societies and now switching to a little bit of mentorship like if you need to define mentorship in one word like what would be that word uh, essential but then i have others uh let's see uh, wonderful yeah, well, I guess essential and necessary are the same, aren't they? Uh, exhausting. There are so many one words I could give you, whether or not I'm thinking about me being mentored and how much I needed people through that. And then the mentoring where I, I, I give people a part of me, good old, wise or not, I don't seem to be able to mentor any other way. So the people who I have mentored, they have part of my heart. They have part of my brain. I am always invested in them. And they know, even if they don't want it, <laughs> that they are part of the Watts lab for now and forever. And, yeah. and, and that's just, that's, that's how I go to that. So, oh, I, it's hard to imagine someone without a mentor. I mean, can you think of someone you know that doesn't have a mentor? No, like I remember if I compare, let's say, if I compare Guru's phase and I didn't know what mentorship was and then the new Guru after mentorship, it's a huge, <laughs> like my life uh, is so much different after like, you know, uh, you start accepting people to help you, you start asking for help and you get like people yes. in your life. So this is what I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm, I really believe in pay it forward and because of the, the amount of people that help me. And I, I think I need to just pass it on and then hopefully like more and more people are going to get help. Yes, so karma is real, right? Yeah. In some way, shape or form, uh, it, it simply is. And I know people worry about asking for help, but the fact is I know I had to. I'm happy to give it back. And don't you feel good when someone asks you for help and you can actually do that? Mm-hmm. Nothing may ever come back to you, ever come back to you because of the help you gave, but it could back come back to someone. And I, I'm at the point in my career where that, that 
that coming back to me, it, it just doesn't matter. I got so much satisfaction about watching the young assistant and associate professors that I now mentor, my trainees moving on forward. It's one of the best things I'll ever get to do, Godo. It really is. And hmm, so I guess like uh, we already touched base on that, but like, do you have any extra comments on like how important uh, mentorship is? Let's say, if somebody is still like in doubt right now and be like, is she listening to the podcast and be like, yeah, but I'm not sure. What would you tell them? Like mentorship is important. Why? Oh, <laughs> what would I tell them? I said, you will feel a strength. You'll feel a foundation, a safety net, a sounding board or whatever you want to call it when you know that you have mentors. Uh, that that having that around is part of the human condition. Right? And you think about the last year where we haven't necessarily be able to be close to those people that we need to do those things and how hard that feels. Right? I readily admit, and if people wanna think that I'm weak, that's their prerogative. I have mentors to this day and I rely on them all the time. Right? So I have J.R. Haywood, I have Karen Comparins. I have a number of different people who are different kinds of mentors. Right? So they don't all talk with me about the same thing, but I benefit from them so much. So I tell them, thank you all the time, right? That doesn't make me small. They don't think less of me because I needed the help. So a person who's wondering about it should not believe that it is in any way diminishing them as a human being or diminishing their intelligence. Uh, we are on a path and, and everybody, everybody needs help along the way. And anybody who tells you that they don't, uh, I wanna talk to them because I just find that very hard to believe. My dad is 82. He might not have people that are older than him but he still has people who he considers mentors. It, does this make sense? Yeah, no, totally. And Stephanie, yeah. like, when uh, did you realize that you needed a mentor? What was the first mm. drive that led High you? High school. High school, because I knew I was, I was a woman in science, and though I went to one of the nerdiest high schools around, I recognized that even within that, I was different because I loved chemistry so much. So I went to my dad. I said, all right, dad. I, he was a philosophy major who knows about this zero about science, but he knew I loved it. And he said, so how do we do this? And he used to take me on Saturday mornings to different chemistry labs on the campus of University of Illinois, where I could talk with Professor Reinhardt or Professor Suslick or people there and say, what's it like to be a scientist? Now, mind you, there were no female scientists for me to talk to. And the only people he know who he knew were male scientists, but he took me down the less. And as I moved through college, I had one really important mentor, actually two. First was Dr. Steven Zumdahl. And if you've ever picked up a chemistry textbook in the last 20 years or so, his name is on it. He was my mentor in every single way. He's Dr. Z to me. He's got a fabulous collection of Corvettes. He used to take me to lunch in a different Corvette all the time. I used to ask him, how many do you need? Apparently he needed a lot, but he would be the one when I got an organic chemistry score of 36. And that was above average. 
And I would come to him in tears and say, what is wrong with this world? If a 36 is above average, this means I don't know 64% of the material and you're telling me this is okay. So he'd tell me to calm down and he would, also, and he worked through it with me. But then he was also the individual who, when I had from one particular laboratory, a TA continually wrote on my lab reports, you are a woman, you don't belong here. And I would bring him the reports and he'd say to me, Stephanie, I need you to not listen to those words, but listen to my words. Listen to your dad's word because he knew my dad and know how much you love science. Know it. And don't let those other things make you afraid of doing this thing what this person is telling you you can't do. So he was then paired with a guy with another great name, Dr. John Katzenellenbogen. He was Dr. K. And he was the first person that let me in lab. I screwed up left and right, Gudo. I, I cringe when I think of my summers in the lab and Dr. K's lab. He still talks to me and we are friends to this point. He's watched me move forward in science and I tell him every chance I can that I never would have been brave enough to do what I'm doing if he hadn't given me the opportunity. I could bring him very little but he gave me the chance. And that's one of the things I will forever be grateful for and why I want other people mm. who maybe were just as afraid as I have to have a chance. So I've had over a hundred trainees come through my laboratory of every different shape, size, race, creed, you name it. You know, they, they've been through our laboratory and they all deserve that chance. So, so my mentors have sustained me throughout times when I've wanted to quit my job had a resignation letter and said, I'm done. I am not doing this anymore. Where my dad has been one of the best ones. He would say, Stephanie Marina, that's my middle name, right? And when your parents use your middle name, you know you're in trouble, right? Uh, that I, need, I need you to remember how much you love science, how much you love what you do. And Gudo, I do. And I know some people look at me and say, good God, is she weird? That is just strange. How can this be normal? Well, it's probably not, but it is absolutely who I am. One of the beauties of getting older is that I am so much more comfortable in who I am now than I was 30 years ago. I, I, I get it. So I don't have to make excuses anymore. So those kinds of things aren't necessarily what I go to my mentor for anymore, uh, but, I, but I use them and think about you know, wisdom of a move in science that I want to take, maybe about an experiment or about doubts I might have about mentoring other people as well. So, oh, I, I, how can you not need mentors? And I, I'm worried about preaching to the choir, to the people who might listen to this podcast and making sure that people who are worried about it or feel that they're stuck and have no clue how to reach to somebody that can help them out for where they are. Those are the people I want to have hear this and hear the work that you do in Ish. And, and, um, and it's very interesting. Like in, in one answer, you pretty much like, I think said what people, what would, if you're worried about what people, like how you help people, like, you know, they're hearing this, it does already help them because um, you just said that at some point you want to quit at some point, like you have like mm -hmm. many successes, like, so in one answer, you showed that like you had ups, like highs and lows, and you're not afraid of like, you know, saying like, yeah, that happened to me and mentors helped me to go through because of the, how passionate I am and, and they believed in me when I didn't believe. And I think like that's perfect because 
people sometimes think like, oh my God, I, there's must, something that must be wrong with me because I don't feel <laughs> uh, you know, as good as, as I, I was like a month ago. But then it's okay because you're not alone. Everybody goes through this. Just speak up and then talk to someone and let someone just send your hand, right? Right. Well, so I, there's a tweet that, so I've just started Twitter. Thanks to you and lots of other people. I'm, I still stink at this, <laughs> uh, but there, there's something called a, a paper, probably 130 years ago, it's called science swagger. And I promise this is related to what we just talked about. And there's this page about how gentlemen of a certain sort have swagger in science. Cause they know what they're doing. I said, we need to find the opposite. Right. What would we call it? Science stumbling, you know, a science Simpson moment where you say, I have just absolutely fallen apart. I have no idea what I'm doing. The, help, help. But people get scared about showing that they don't know what to do things. And Gudo, I am going to put a plug in for my sex right here because I think women can do a really good job of this. I, I can't say that men do a poor job of this. I can only say that women do a good job of this in terms of many, not all, being willing to share where their challenges have been. One way we can make our world stronger is to show that to one another and to recognize, if you wanna take me down with that knowledge, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And if that makes you feel better, okay. But I'm telling you this so you understand that when you hit that, this is the nadir, right? Of how you're feeling about things, that there is a way up that there are people that have been there that have found that way up. And I, I, I could trajectory, I could draw you a graph of my career, just like that Gouda, where I was high, those different lows and highs and different lows. And what has sustained me throughout all of that is a serious love of science and the people in it. Yeah. Those are the two things which when I'm in doubt, in tears about what's happened or angry about different things that have happened, you know, you go running, you swim, you eat an obscene amount of chocolate and you come back and you say, all right, this is, this is really what I want to do. So that means that you have to be really stinking true to yourself and yeah. honest with yourself about what you're willing to do and what you're not. There may come a point where you say, you know what, I'm done. And you really are, right? Because how you've changed as a person means moving on and hopefully your mentors help you see that. Uh, but all being vulnerable, I don't know what it is about humans. Uh, we're better when we are, and we're not weak when we are. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about that? I like, uh, just like an, an example. So last year, I gave like a talk uh, at our university on career. So they wanted me to share my path. And and I was talking about that. I was talking about like, um, let's say when I got my, uh, when I applied my fellowship and I got the answer back and it was a no. So I had like five reviewers. Two were like, wow, Guru is amazing. One was like, ah, it's okay. <laughs> and then two were like horrible. Like they destroy my CV. Like, you know, they destroy oh. things. Like I, I believed that was, there were strong things about me, but they didn't see it that way. And, and I was telling the guys, I was like, that shook me. Like I was like devastated. I was grumpy, like, you know, like Milton would be like, what the husband? I was like, don't speak to me. Like, let me, you know, give me the ice cream or like give me food or give me something. Like I need to, um, I need to be depressed a little bit. 
And then they started asking, like, but are you okay saying these things like to us? And I was like, yes, I am okay. Do you know what? I was depressed. I was like extremely upset. And like, I wanted to eat somebody, you know, alive or like, <laughs> you were, I was so angry because um, yes. those two people didn't give me the importance that I thought I had. Uh, and that was just the CV part. And, but then I was like, but going through that moment made me learn more about myself. You know what I mean? Like yes. it made me yes. like be in contact with that good old that I didn't know before or, or I knew, let's say in other aspects, but in a professional aspects, like, and gave me more insights of like, how can I improve or um, how can I be a better human? And what I want, exactly. like, you know, um, it's like the movie, Elizabeth, right? Like there is, I don't know if you watched the, the first one when uh, she doesn't kill her, lo her lover. And then they ask like, why do they want to kill her, him? And then she's like, because I wanted to see his face and remind every day how far I went uh, for love. And then it's the same thing. You need to go through these moments to remind you every day, all the time, who you are and why you deserve this. Yes. So I, I'm not sure I believe in revenge, but we'll use this word, right? But the best revenge is success, right? And just showing people that, all right, you can think that thing and you can believe those different kinds of things, but let me show you. Let me show you what I can do. And you do so with grace and elegance rather than anger. Uh, so one of my mentors, Karen Clemperance, has this great line. And if you've heard it before, I apologize, but I remember it all the time. She says, Stephanie, anger makes you stupid. Mm. Don't do it. Don't make decisions in anger. Don't write an email in anger. Don't, anger just is not a, you, you can feel it but then you need to somehow transmute that into something that might be resolve. So I become resolute, committed in mm -hmm. doing things and saying, this is what I'm gonna do. So I will take this. And there have been many times I'm angry. Gudo, I'm Greek and Irish. You put those two together and sometimes you have a very angry woman. It's like, <laughs> now, now I understand a lot. <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now you get it. Right. Is <laughs> it's, it's taken a lifetime of learning, of having to you know, put duct tape over my mouth. Remember to implant that filter in my brain. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. All right. All right. <sighs> Let me just show you what I can do. Uh, and, and I'd like to think that maybe through the oh my goodness, almost 30 years of being involved in hypertension that I've been able to show us some of that, right? And that is while having a family, right? Those on the uh, podcast may not know, I also have a very disabled older son right, who we've just moved into a home that's nearby us and putting him in a home was in this last year was traumatic, right? But you, you still stand up, right? In the face of these things that are hard because one, you have to, it's the right thing to do. And you know, there are people in the world who have triumphed over harder things. So you find the resolve, you find the commitment, the whatever you want to call it. And you say, I, I can, and I will. So, does that, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah. So I, I just, Gudo, I mean, right there, when I'm talking to you, I wish, I wish I could just, you know, hold your face and say, believe this, right? It's really real. Um, 
And so you can imagine the number of members who you and I both know who are just rolling their eyes at this point, right? Because I, I'm saying this in this way, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But I want to make our community stronger by connecting with one another and just the way you've invited me to do so here today and sharing this with yeah. you. I'm totally fine with people knowing these things. Yeah, no, it is It is true. So now, Stephanie, just like switching a little bit the gears from like, you know, your experience as a mentee, <laughs> let's talk about you uh, as a mentor. Like, okay. What, how would you describe your mentoring uh, style? Ooh, uh, very engaged. I don't micromanage, but I'm engaged. The human that my mentee is, is more important to me than the scientist that they are becoming. Because I think if there's a strong human there, a strong scientist will follow. So I'm very cognizant of them in this way. I, I will say that my mentoring is also, cheerleader's the wrong word. Uh, I'm right there to help people do something that's scary to them. All right, so I'll give you an example. We're getting ready to do what's called a brush program here at MSU in the summer. And these are going to be students from uh, underrepresented populations who have never stepped foot in the laboratory and when I put myself in their shoes, I said, you know, I'd really, I'd like to run away now because this is going to be scary. My job as a mentor is to say, you're just going to be just fine. And, and to be there when they're worried and to, and to help learn what being a scientist is about and what this thing of research is about. I mean, Gudo, I, my, my students would tell you, I am definitely hands-on in the sense that we work through the things that I think a scientist needs to know. So publications, talks, practicing, really testing that you know the literature and pushing you to do things that you think you can't. That's my job, right? And then they end up, and for my the 14 that I've mentored, they end up with a PhD and they go, oh, I did it. <laughs> what do you know, right? What do you know? And, and that's just wonderful to watch people go on and do things they don't think can do. What my job is not as a mentor is to have anybody end up looking like me, right? So first of all, most of the people I mentor would have to shrink, right? Because <laughs> I'm 5'2". One of my students was six foot eight. You should have seen the two of us together. We looked ridiculous, um, but, but we did it. Is for a mentor to help people in our context, Gudo, in hypertension and in science to help people find out how they want to love science. So my students have gone on, PhD students, to do really different things. They work in academe, they work in industry. Uh, some of them are teachers. Uh, two of them are getting ready to take new jobs in companies. Right? They've stayed in science in many different kinds of ways, but my job has to have to help guide them to that. And, and I'll give you a story that might illustrate how to do that. Uh, so I had a particular student who's simply brilliant, brilliant, uh, but being at a lab, being on bench research, simply made this person sick to the point where every month they were ending up in the hospital. Wow. It was so exhausting to them when they found research not turning out how they thought it should, right? So you come into something, you have a hypothesis and you and everybody who's listening to this knows probably half the time you're wrong, 
then maybe that's a good, how, how can I be wrong all this time? So finally, I looked at this individual and said, this is gonna kill you if you keep ending up this, why are you doing this? He said, well, I, 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 I'm, I, what I really wanna do is teach. So I looked at this individual and said, how come you weren't telling me this a year ago? Because yes, you have to do bench research to get your PhD, but we could have been devising in the study of this PhD things that helped him unload the anxiety he had of being a researcher by getting them involved teaching early on. So we completely revamped what the last two years of this PhD looked like such that this individual is absolutely prepared for a job at a place that uh, fits them to a T, to a T. It looks like nothing that I do. Right, with the exception that they teach people what research is at the beginning, nothing that I do. And it's not what I would choose to do, but it was perfect for this individual. And I consider that a success. That is not a failure in mentoring, that this individual didn't go work at an R1 institution in the way that I did. Not a failure, yeah. mm -hmm. because this individual found their way to their loving science. And the thing I'll say to that too, is that can change in a career. I spent about 10 years being a dean in the graduate school where I taught responsible conduct and research. And I used to teach 400 students at a time. I loved it. And it was a really good thing to do. And I needed that in my world when things were rough in my research world. I needed to feel like I was making a real contribution in that way. That helped me. I don't do that anymore. But how you want to love science, you have permission to change your mind. Gudo, did I answer your question? Yes, no, you did. And I even gave an example that I was like craving for. Like, no, perfect, perfect. But oh, now- It's absolutely real. Ask my lab. So, mm -hmm. Stephanie, so in the point of view, like of the mentee, so what kind of trait do you think like a good mentee should have? So let's say if I'm, if I'm like, I'm a mentee, like how, not a how should I behave, but like what kind of- um, what do I need, like what, what my attitude should be as a mentee to really enjoy oh. this process? Yes. So admitting to yourself at the beginning that you are vulnerable and that there are going to be parts of what you're learning you're not going to like because you're just going to, I'm going to use the word stupid. I know it's when we try not to, but you're just going to feel that way. Right? How can, because there's so much I don't know. Oh my goodness. That's true for everybody. And I'll remind many a trainee who walked in this and you're here for a reason. It's because you don't know that you're learning with me. Just let it go. Uh, curiosity. I want someone who wants to know everything, right? Where my job is to say, well, not gonna happen. So let's, let's call it down a little bit to what I can teach you well. Willingness to learn, willingness to be corrected, willingness to ask questions, even if they're worried that it might look, it might make them look or feel lesser, simply being engaged. That's probably an overused word, but I, I want a student who is chomping at the bit and wants to learn it all. There are some that are more vocal than others, Gudo. So you know a number of my trainees, some who are very active right there. And then there are others who are more brilliantly quiet. We know those individuals as well. I love them both, right? So they may be willing to show me more of them when it's just one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. 
than in a group. And I have people who are absolute hams, drama kings, drama queens. They love, they'll bring it all around. That's just how they learn. And others who learn in different ways, I teach them all, right? I, I mentor them all and I try hard as I can to tailor myself to them. Uh, I absolutely admit to making mistakes in mentoring. I absolutely admit to my first PH student who I'm still in touch with. I, her name is Jennifer Florian Meredith. And I say, Jenny, can I have a do-over please? Because I do it so much better now than I did when I was a new assistant professor. So I have now after trial and error, uh, when I've made mistakes, I apologize to my trainees. Uh, when they've made mistakes, they tell me Right, that I'm defining for you at least some of the things that I make a really good relationship, but knowing that we're working together, right? That individual does not work for me. I work with them and there's a real, you've heard that so many times, you need to live it and you yeah. have to make it real and you cannot just give it lip service. You have to do it. Yeah, and, and it's true. Like, I guess like you'd be like, bear it all, right? So like, don't put up any walls between you and your mentor, because yep. like you're not there to impress your mentor. You're there to get his help. And if he doesn't see the true you, you won't be able to help him. He'll be helping your um, inner saboteur, let's say. And then that's going to be yeah. worse. Oh, what a good phrase. Yeah. So I, I've always, I've said this to people too. I said, do not ever, ever tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what you know and what you're thinking. Please mm -hmm. just, just talk with me honestly. Um, say what you mean and really mean what you say and be honest with you and be honest with me. That is the best way I can help. So please, 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 please. So I try to give lots of examples to people of how I've done just the same. Uh, and you know, Guto, it makes some people uncomfortable. And I'm sure this conversation might make some people uncomfortable listening to because I'm right there. You are right there. I don't know how else to help someone learn and really know them well enough so that I can do the best job to help them learn, to find their mm -hmm. postdoc, to find their job. Oh man, you, you have to let it be all on the table, as you said. And just uh, <clears throat> now going back of like, um, when you're choosing your training environment. And I think like this question, I, I really like this question, especially now in COVID time. So mm. like, let's say you finish your PhD or even like when you're trying to choose your PhD, but let's use the example, like I'm finished my PhD, I need to choose my postdoc. How, like what advice do you give to people to look into like what to look for in terms to make sure that you are going into like the right environment for you? And a plus of this question is how that would change in COVID times where interviews and things are online. So what to look for and how to do that. So Guto, this is hard. Right? You are probably aware of the manuscript that the Dustin Awardees and I wrote for hypertension that was published last month. And those are the two of the questions right, that were asked by the Trainee Advocacy Committee. So let's answer the COVID question first. Like one of the things that every single person has to do is give people more, more time, 
right? So I'll give you an example right now. At MSU, anybody who's an assistant professor has automatically had added an extra year for a 10-year clock because we know almost all those individuals have small children or they're at the beginning of their career and they're trying to do these things where the meetings you wanna to talk to aren't happening in that way. <laughs> the, the, the work you needed to get to put in that experiment that will get that next grant, they aren't happening either. So recognition of the extended time, I think that we need to do this. So the mentor that you wanna seek is someone who will help find and maybe help you fight for that space and that time and give you just a bit of a protected shelter when you start. Uh, everybody needs it. I, I know that I certainly did. Um, what would you, so your question is, what would you look for? Let's say as an example, right? So like you said, like yeah. when you're looking for your postdoc, having a, a child during your postdoc was important, but you were very like straightforward because you went to Clinton and said like, Hey Clinton, I want to have a kid. What do you think about that? But like, like, and you are very straightforward because you knew that you wanted. So let's say if 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 you are not, or if I'm not, how yeah. would you approach like that situation? So I so I, would you believe this, Goodo? I haven't always been as forward as I am now. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> so my love for science has been real, but this is the great thing about maturity, your confidence grows, right? I had to ask that question because I wanted to be honest. I wanted the people that I was considering to be my postdoc mentors for there to be no surprises, right? And you all, there are things you can't predict. People getting sick, where right? all those different kinds of things happen. Everybody has to be flexible with that. Science will always be there and we'll find a way to get it done. Knowing so let's think if your mentor really knowing enough about you that you shared yourself with them in this way can help them think about what next step should be. I, I think honesty is, is huge. Um, I know there are certain questions and in interviews and the like that you can't ask, uh, but the fact is that you live a life outside of the science right, that you have, and there can be things there that complicate. So for, I'll give you an example here. I have been invited to apply to a number of chairs or dean positions across the country. And I have to regretfully decline every single one because I won't leave the state where my older son always will be. Mm -hmm. And it's just fine, right? It, it really is just fine. People understand it. They know it, they know I'll help them where I can be, but I'm really, really honest with people about this. So, so let me go back though, that's a discretion to thinking about your question um, about thinking to that next step. So if it's a postdoc step, this is so de rigueur, you talk with people that have been in the same position or hopefully, or who, whose footsteps you might follow the most closely and to see how real it is. And you, so have you heard of honesty hour? So mm -hmm. honesty hour is happening more in graduate school interviews now than were before, especially because we're at this distance. So there is a time where 
faculty like me, like you get to be there and talk with the graduate students, then we're all kicked out. Then it is just the grad students talking to the grad students. No holds barred, nothing's being recorded. They can say, what's it really like to be Stephanie Watt student, right? Is she as impossible as she seems? Is she, do you find her too intense? All those different kinds of questions, which you have to be able to ask, not in a harmful way, but to get enough knowledge to see if you can see that person, if, if you can see yourself in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and you know, you know, you can do as much of this as possible and you can get to that place and maybe five, 10% of the time, it's nothing like you thought it was really gonna be. So you can do as much homework as possible and, and it's just different. So I'll say this here again, that that's not the end of the world. You can change your mind. You can go to a different place. It, it's, I wouldn't consider it a failure, but maybe a really intense learning experience about how you work with people, about what you want. I, I'm not sure that I'm answering your question exactly, Bill, no, no, because it's a no. really big one. No, no, it is. Like you are. Like it's 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 perfect. I would say like it's um like a good comparison. It's like uh, it's like a party. You are in a party. It's like oh, this party is boring. You have two options. <laughs> one, leave. And then be home, go to sleep, or like do something more fun to you, or yeah. change it because it's not the party that's boring. It's your point of view. Like it's you that are not being able to are not open up for that uh, situation. But I think like that's so, the thing so, as you said. You said perfectly. So it's it's a great thing. You so any person ever, and this includes me at the solid age of fifty four needs to know that you have to be actively engaged in your world. Life is not a passive thing, all right? You make it happen, you make it happen. And and so the recognition that you can, uh, it gets easier and easier to do the older you get. It really, really, truly does. And I I remember times as a grad student, I was too afraid to suggest I could see what needs to be done, but I had no idea how to say it that didn't sound bad in my ears. So I didn't, and I should have. Uh, that gets better right? as you get older and the willingness to say, uh-uh, not gonna do that. Not even gonna start, but can we try this? And either people say yes or no. So, so that engagement and willing to be an active participant in what you do is everything. I think that's one of the ways I've made headway and uh, have been able to work within the Council on Hypertension and ASPET and Keystone Symposium in different places is I put myself right there. Mm. may mm. not be pretty sometimes, but I put myself right there. And now talking about putting yourself out there, in the beginning, you said that was very like overwhelming when you went to your first meeting or you started like getting to know oh. these big names and everything. So yes. how how did you overcome that? Like, how did you overcome the intimidation oh my goodness well so i i had really great people around me so nan kinegi i I literally remember her grabbing my hand and dragging me to go to different places and she'd say you chicken shit come on let's go (laughs) and and oh it's true but then guda you know what i did is i remembered how much i love science and i remember never forget the first time i went up to dr inagami right, to ask him a question. And he was so sweet to me and so kind. I thought, this is a human being. 
that's all they are. They're just older than me. They've got a lot more experience and maybe going on more going on upstairs than I do, but they're just a human being. So if you remember that, and think about people as humans first before they're a scientist, mm -hmm. it gets easier to do that, right? And that's one of the greatest joys. I love talking science with people and, and say, when I go to judge trainee posters, the first thing I do is I tell them I'm Stephanie what's your name and right there the field is even right? so it's it's remembering and, and learning so i had to put myself in difficult conversations right going to meet gabby navarre the first time and then realizing at night well okay this is the guy i'm dancing with at this moment <laughs> what a great thing right just different opportunities like that where you realize they they have families they have worries they have struggles just like you do it it evens things but when in doubt you remember why you're doing what you're doing for me that was i wanted to know and if i had a question and it was burning right here there was no way i was going to let me being scared get in front of that right so that that's what works for me it might different things might work for different people for for me it was the knowledge that mm -hmm. i wanted to have mm -hmm. and, and ask right like don't be afraid you bet. you bet. And so you know the fear when you're in a meeting and you're walking down the aisle and as a woman in heels, you're thinking to yourself, please don't trip, please don't trip, please don't trip, right? As you're going down the aisle. I'm like, it's I, scary would, to <laughs> I would be like, I would be like, if I wasn't heels, I'd be like, wow, I look fabulous. Because <laughs> I think you <laughs> have an inner drag queen, they'll be like, you know, a roof all inside of me, they'll be like, hmm. But, like, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> There's something but about the great. microphone. Oh, the yes. microphone, like, it's scary, you right? So, like, you yeah. just go, like, yeah. and the microphones are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and start getting smaller and smaller. And then when they, oh, yeah. when they say, like, oh, yeah, you, like, you're in the back and your heart goes, like, <laughs> you're like, <gasps> well so the irony for me i always have time doodle because i typically have to lower the microphone to where i am so that gives me a little bit to get my heart rate under control but you really it's think about what you apply as a teacher right if one person has a question probably a lot of people do and if we're going to work as a community sometimes you need to once again make yourself vulnerable and say all right I'll be the one to go up and I'll ask that question because I'm betting other people are thinking about it too. That's how we learn. And our goal as a community is to learn, right? To create new knowledge, to move it forward. So I'm willing to make myself as vulnerable as I need to be to do it. Yeah. It's, um, so now let's switch gears again, Stephanie, because I think like you do have a lot of things to talk about it, about this uh, subject. So I, like I our... do, and I'm sorry if I'm going too long, Gudo. Oh, no, it's I, fine. I... We can do part one and part two. <laughs> like, you can be I, like, I've thought, Stephanie. Oh, I've, I have time. <laughs> you can do I, like, I've the... thought about this for no, a just saying, like, You can do like party of Stephanie one and party of Stephanie two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I gotcha. Okay. So um, now let's talk about a little bit of like diversity and inclusion, because I think those are big themes in sure. research right now. Um, so what do you think in your point of view would be the biggest issue around diversity and inclusion in science? It's representation of those who academically are interested 
in science, uh, we don't see them. So I, I will say this, in my time as a professor in MSU, I've watched the number of women in my department increase, right? And that was done purposefully by a series of chairs who recognized that our department wasn't diverse in this aspect, right? For there being males and females. We are still not diverse in terms of having underrepresented minority. There is not a single African-American in our faculty. Uh, I can't name one uh, that, that I work with on our campus. And we all know that this is a problem. So we have started to engage with groups like, have you heard Black in Physiology? Do you yeah, know this group? Yeah, I feel like they have a Twitter page. Yeah. So, yeah, so Dexter Lee from Howard and Jan Williams from Mississippi and Clintoria Williams, they have been involved in this where I pay attention to what they say. And when they speak, one of the things they say is that if we ever really wanna help diversity in science, we need to get to those underrepresented minorities probably when they're in grade school. Now, this is actually very similar to what the science and what do people learned about, get, about getting women in science. But you know, clearly we haven't done this as well, right? With in particular, African-Americans in science. And I don't know if there are other groups that you need to include here as well. There can be diversity in sexual orientation. There can be diversity in disability and ability. Yeah. What I know I can do, Goethe. So I, I can't change the world, but I can change my world. So I open up my laboratory to things that are like this brush program. And I'll have a student from Spelman College this summer. So if I talk a good game as we are, then I also need to play a good game. And that is to put my time and effort and ideally some of my money towards this as well. So I listen, Dexter Lee, who's at Howard, he and I trained in one of the same laboratories. So he is one of my brothers in science and we call one another that siblings. And we're still waiting for the moment where someone overhears us saying that and looks at the both of us and goes, what? <laughs> There's no way you're a brother and sister. But we are in our, in our science family, right? That's a science family that are able to help. So I think our commitment has to be real. So we're trying to find when it goes back in person, a grade school you know, here in Lansing, East Lansing, which has a large population of underrepresented minorities and simply go and talk about, this is what being a scientist is, bring them to the lab. They've probably never seen a lab before. Uh, it's not anything I'm going to solve and it's not anything you're going to solve, but if we can have a framework where now if they have the knowledge, we pass them on to the next folks and they have a bit more knowledge and we keep going. I, what do you think about this? And, and what do you see <coughs> in Scotland in, in, in being able to help this? I think like in, in, in Scotland is very similar to what, to what you're saying. So um, in Europe, I was telling uh, Francisco like once, I was like, when we sit in a few committees, but in different societies, and then there was one particular, I'm not going to, to mention the names and everything, but I was like, Fran, did you realize that there is no uh, uh, black person in this committee is completely white? And then, um, and even like the, the women uh, ratio. <clears throat> and then I'm like, why? Why does that happen? Like, um, 
it's like people are not uh, informed or people are just um, bluntly blind to those things. I don't know. It's, 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 it's weird, right? Because like as um, I usually tell people, like it's very hard for you to realize how, um, how do you say, um, privileged you are. You know what I mean? Because like, I'm like a white man, but I'm a gay white man. So like, I don't have the, you know, the straight side of it. So, but I am very privileged because like, I didn't go through uh, stepping stones that other people did. So, you know, like Annette Kirabo from uh, David Harrison's lab, when she gave that speech, yes. I was like super inspired. And I was like, I was like, gosh, if look at like how things were for her, and how much easier my life was. And I didn't come from a rich family as well. Like, you know, my dad was like working around the clock, like to be able to pay my university and this kind of things. But mm -hmm. even with those, uh, let's say walls, was easier than what she had. And then I'm like, um, I think like people need to probably like realize more of that. And then as you said, like early before, put ourselves in other people's shoes and understand. So an example is like, once like I was talking to Rianne and there was like a grant application that they sort of like implied that if you're gay, uh, that grant would be for you. Like you would have like a little more preference than other people. And then Rianne was yeah. like, don't you think that's a little weird? And I was like, yeah, I do. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like it, it, it sounds weird as a gay person because I'm like, I'm not asking you to make things easier for me because I'm gay. I'm like, I'm asking, so like if I was, you know, going to make a difference, I would like then to do, as you said, like go to schools and everything and then say like, hey, I'm a gay person, I'm a researcher, uh, I'm, you know, doing this in the University of Glasgow. So don't be afraid to be who you are because you're going to get somewhere. Like, it doesn't matter what people tell you. Like, you know, as I said, the guy wrote, you're a woman, you're not for science. Or people can say, like, no, you're gay. Like, you know, uh, stay in your closet. Like, don't be yourself because people are going to judge and everything. It's like, no, be yourself, move forward. And see, I was able to move forward. Um, and you learn, you know, there's some people that are going to be important to you. Some people that are going to say all these horrible things. You just compartmentalize them, make them, you know, um, Posable in your life because you don't need those people um, and then give an example so this is uh, basically what I'm saying is like I agree with you we need to give example we need to show different um, minorities that like you can go far as everybody else like and uh, and I'll help you to believe that and then you help me to understand even more how I was blind to the situation and how can I do more and more and better and better. Yes, I don't know if it makes sense. Yep, and, but so you know though, Gouda, that the naysayer voices can sometimes be really loud. Mm. And the people who tell you that you can't or that you shouldn't, you're not the right pedigree or I didn't have the right pedigree to go into science, but I did it because I love it. I'm the mom of a very disabled son and I'm the mom of a gay son, right? So I have watched their world. They have harder paths right, than people that I know. Um, one of the things that I've thought about a lot is I, I've had a number of underrepresented minorities that are students. And there is 
almost without exception, a place where they are uncomfortable accepting, say, a grant award or a travel award that was made special for them because they want to earn awards on their scientific merit or their academic merit, not by the color of their skin. So I don't know if us putting things forward like that are helpful and harmful. And honestly, that's the kind of conversation I wanna have with somebody like Dexter Lee, right? He would tell you, honestly, is, is this good? Or in his opinion, is this not? Right? Are there other things that we need to do that are like that? So I have to reach to the things that I think I can do. And that is people knowing that my lab is the one that has a wonderful history. So I put up pictures of every individual who's been in my laboratory. And yes, it's mostly white, but you'll see brown, you'll see uh, a golden color, you'll, you'll see all different kinds of colors that are there. You'll see men, you'll see women, right? You'll see short, you'll see tall. So it's imperfect, right? It's, it's imperfect right now. I think the best comment I can give is I, I'm going to try as hard as I can, but I'm going to make myself vulnerable as we've just discussed and go to the people who know so much better than I do. And those that are, those are those people that are living the life of an underrepresented minority or mm -hmm. somebody who is not included in science right now, but should be. But then like when you're talking about like, you know, the awards for uh, specific uh, minorities and everything, sometimes like, I think there are a lot of cases that it's just like a check, right? The people are just doing that, say like, hey, you're being inclusive. Like, look, you're, we're good people. You're going to be good in social media. Everybody's going to love us. But then I wonder yeah. too, like, I give the benefit of, of doubt saying like, maybe that's like, you know, them trying to really protect um, this the minorities or uh, against they really like struggle or really don't want to open their eyes to see how privileged uh, they are and how those things are. This unconscious bias is inserted into like uh, the way that we think and you're so blind to it that we don't see it. So I think like yes. there are like two ways, right? So like I like to believe in the, the later, let's say. Um, <clears throat> but I think the problem too is that, let's say, if I win like a gay award, or like an award for like coverage to the gay people. I'm pretty sure like, you know, people that really like me and people that, you know, understand what that means and, you know, uh, is going to give me like congratulations and going to know that <clears throat> between in that, I don't know, specific contest, I, what I've, I was doing is good enough to give me that award. But I think like a lot of people will use it to minimize uh my achievement i don't know if you know what yeah. i mean it's like oh yeah you won the gay award and i'm like and then you'll be like yeah so this is why one of the things that makes you feel bad about it because i was like look it wasn't supposed to be this way but it's like a bad word right so like that word's not supposed to be offensive but everybody uses such an offensive connotation that like it becomes like a bad word and <clears throat> and it wasn't supposed to hurt you if you think about it um but it's the same thing like in one of the committees that I participated, like there, there was like a award to recognize women. And then somebody said like, oh, I don't want to win the women award. And then I was, I was my, my beginning in participating in committees and I just got the microphone and was like, wow, so stop thinking about you, thinking about, you know, all the younger women researchers that are seeing people winning and they give them the belief that they can push through and they can, you know, 
do these things and things can happen. And then I'm like, and then I turn off the microphone, like, what am I doing here? There are, there are some, there are concerns like that. So the, the Dustin Award of the Council on Hypertension has, uh, has been given to just women, right? And that is honor of one of the people who were the first editors of hypertension and that, and that was Dusty. Uh, Harriet Dustin or Dr. Harriet Dustin. And there are people who say, you know, I, I don't put me up for that award because I wanna be able to earn an award on my own. But then you look at others, say some of the same awards in that council and it's always men. Right, who who win those different types of awards. So I, I have somewhat mixed feelings about it, but I really love the idea of putting up people who may have struggled a bit more than others, who may not be what is best known as a man, a male scientist with crazy white hair, right? Is how so many people draw the scientists that they know that they're different and being different even if you are, you can still be successful. So mm -hmm. those awards elevate those kinds of things in that way. I, I hope that they will be taken in that vein as opposed to, like you say, just checking off the box. I'm gonna give it because your skin happens to be black or you happen to be gay or you happen to have ovaries. Right. I, I, oh, good, oh, I wish I could solve this problem. <laughs> Right. Goodness knows that we've spent a lot of effort. NIH is having efforts here now within the United States to try to help the percentage of individuals who, in particular, underrepresented minorities receive NIH grants and receive R01s because they're aware you know, that, say, less than 1% of the people that are our faculty are Black, right? And even fewer than that get awarded these different kinds of grants. So that we're doing this right here and speaking, I think, very honestly and open terms is some of the best work that we can do. We need to though get to the people who we're really talking about and, and yeah. ask their opinions too. Yeah. Um, so now talking about like more specifically like women in research and in hypertension research, what advice mm -hmm. would you give to them, Stephanie? What advice in hypertension research? Well, so first I uh, go read that paper in uh, hypertension, February, 2021, there are 14 women in hypertension research that did this in honor of Dr. Dustin. What <sighs> advice to women. Um, so I'm, as I've alluded to a number two, I'm five foot two right? and I'm physically, I'm probably one of the least intimidating people that are out there. But I've managed to do what I've done because I love what I do. It is a genuine love that I cannot hide. And if women are really honest with themselves about what they want, then you find a way to put the fear aside and do the things you need. And you lean on other people like me, right? You lean on other people like the authors of that paper where you have 14 truly accomplished individuals in the field of hypertension and you ask for their help. They have an email, just like you do. It's not, it's not a national secret. No, you can't get to those emails. You, you contact them because every single one of them, as they wrote in that, they remember what it's like to be afraid. And the number of them have
afraid. I wish I tried. So they, they come with a lot of ideas. Stephanie, so, of, sorry yeah. for interrupting you. Like this, you froze. So could you repeat okay, the, okay. Lead, the last one? Yeah, sure. It, yeah, I, I apologize for that. My my internet, it's stunning. It's done this well, Gudo. Is is to simply put the fear aside and and to recognize that some of these really accomplished women have not done things perfectly. And there are things that they wish that they'd done, but even though they haven't done it perfectly, they are, they are still accomplished. They are still here. They are part of the hypertension world. There is a wonderful, wonderful resource within that council of women of at least several different colors, not all of them and of different minorities, but you lean on that network. Right? I love it when I have a, uh, let's say not so senior individual <laughs> email me and say, I-, I am just scared. I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. I said, call me, let Zoom. Let's talk about these kinds of things because Gudo, someone did it for me, right? Someone did it for me. And I know that I have, uh, I feel it's not the, it's not gravity. It's not duty, but I feel it. That is part of what I need to do to help women see that they can work through hard things, to be able to stay in science. We, mm-hmm. to stay, right? So the fact is when Harriet Dustin, who I referred to a number of times, she used to be one of the only women that went to the Council on Hypertension meeting, right? So that meeting has gone through so many changes and who gets to come. And it's been remarkable in terms of, uh, of how I think how inclusive it has grown to be, I think we can do even better. And it's gonna mm. take people like you, right? And people like Brandy Wynn and Stella and Camilla Wincesslow and all these young people that are in hypertension saying this, this is what we wanna be. Uh, so it's, it's, it's already grown and changed so much, right? Even in the time that I've known it. If you talk with, so my mentor and, and the people that I'm around, they can't believe how different the meeting is now than what it used to be. So progress is being made, especially in regards to women. Uh, we just, we have, we have to keep going. Yeah. And but last... what else, what, you want specific advice? Cause I, no. I will happily give you my email. <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect and like mentioning the paper is also perfect because that is an amazing paper with like like for people that don't know so paper. stephanie is the latest awardee of the of that award uh the harriet Dustin award and mm-hmm. I, I think Stephanie, usually you get to write a review right on your topic and instead of doing this i chose not to do science yeah yeah so stephanie uh asked hypertension to open to a possibility where uh, we could, like us, the trainees could get together or uh, get people to ask you guys questions. And you put together all the awardees and mm-hmm. uh, all of them, or most of them answered like specific or different questions and uh, sharing their wisdom. So it is a great paper, not only for women, but for everyone to read because it's extremely inspirational. Oh, it is. It- and, and that, that's why I wanted to do it is because COVID this past year has been scary, right? It has just been scary. And though I might be older and somewhat better, maybe better able to handle things, I've been scared in this last year. This is to remind us that we have strength in the network that we've built. Uh, and the, the Council on Hypertension, as I, and as I'm sure is true for Isha as well, you have it. But it won't do things for you unless you ask it. 
unless you come and you are actively engaged that thing that you have. So I went and wrote every single one of these women and said, would you please? And to a person, they said, yes. And they took the time. And some of them wrote some truly, truly beautiful, thoughtful answers. Some of them have also done the fun things of taking that paper, sending it back to their trainees because it was anonymous and, tell, and asking them, all right, go pick out my answers. Do you know me well enough as a mentor to tell me which, which are my answers to these questions? That's been a lot of fun for them. Uh, my trainees could tell, you know, what well, I said everything at the end. So, but but that's that's just been great fun. And Gudo, I don't think, I don't see how that can't be helpful to anybody. Just giving themselves the time to think, to read, to cogitate, and reflect on the mm -hmm. ideas that are within that are incredibly helpful. Not just just to women, but I, I'm hoping yeah. to scientists as a whole. And the, and the ish uh, started like uh, something very interesting. So when uh, Rianne was the, the president of the of ish, she created like the Women in Hypertension Research Committee. Okay. Um, and now yeah. uh, Musha is the, the chair and they have so many activities, Stephanie, like mentorship, like uh, activities in the, the ish conference that's coming now in April. And it's it's amazing how you know they created this community of like women and uh, men that supports oh, yeah. each other. So uh, it's it's beautiful to see how it's growing and uh, and how it's getting better and better as we move forward as the year goes. I'd love to know more about it. It sounds fabulous. Yeah, I think you'll love it. <laughs> In each oh, of, I, um, I, I have no doubt. I have no Oh, I I I would love to see it. We need to have like some uh, Stephanie Feynman ish. They would love to have you there. <laughs> oh, well, sign me up, Gudo, right? Sign me up. Perfect. This is what we do. Right? I'm old enough now to know that I have fewer days in front of me than I have behind me. I want to make everything that I have rich. And so sharing with people, helping one another, that's, that's just awesome. I love every day I can do it. And Stephanie, my last question to you, like now talking about COVID. Yes, so you know that like COVID came and pretty much like everybody's uh, drowned and especially for like junior researchers, it's been like a scary time because as you said, people uh, that were going for tenure, like they didn't have the time to develop their career, but even like people before that, like as an example here uh, in Glasgow, like I've seen so many like young researchers, like promising young researchers that are, that lost their contracts uh, because the labs lost funding, so they're not able to renew grants and everything's delayed because of lab closures and everything. Um, and it's pretty scary because um, we, like people were furloughed, uh, and I never heard that word before, COVID. So um, so a lot of things happens that like really damage or put like a stepping stone and career progress. So what would you say uh, to these people? And what do you think that we could, what could we do to help people that were damaged uh, or not damaged, but like were hurt by COVID and the pandemic? So it, it this breaks my heart, Gudo. It, it, so this is where I wish I had a pot of money, a really big pot of money, and I could help out these individuals. So I can tell you here at Michigan State where, where we are, we're having 
just a lot of hard conversations about this. I gave you the one very simple example of that simply extending people's time that they have to get that grant, to do, to do that. We, we are helping people financially in different places. So say some of the salary savings that we might have for grants, right? I've already told my chair that if, if they need part of that money to help these individuals to please take it and use it. What I can't tell you is say at different levels of the university, if there are the same conversations, so there are other different parts that might be happening. And I don't know what different universities are doing, right? So say like bridging funds, right? So when you have a grant that's close, but it's not quite enough and you need another years of support, many times a university, in collaboration with the department might help you have the dollars to do that. Right? My hope would be that universities would do that and, and people could seek that out. Um, for furloughed people, that, that's gotta be just agony. Um, I, I, I never envisioned seeing something like this in our world. And, and I'm, I have to say, I'm not sure what we as a community can do outside of keeping doors open for people, keeping opportunities open for people, thinking creatively about the money we have rather than hoarding it for what's happening, but to use it to help it for people that are here. So we took a salary cut at Michigan State across the board, everybody had it cut. That was because of COVID, but I'm hoping they're using that money and siphoning it that two places that are just like we described. What are you seeing happening in your world? So for us, like the university open um, opportunities, like what one thing that I thought was interesting that they did, uh, they opened like positions uh, for like temporary positions for teaching. So they could try to absorb those people that were getting out of contracts. And then they have like a contract where they could be in touch with science, but like in the form of teaching while their labs get things sorted out. Uh, for students, they open like uh, extensions that people can apply. Of course, like they don't have the money to give like a year to everyone, but they will be like, okay, so tell us your case, what happened? And then it'd be like, okay, so we can, you know, for you, are going to give you like three months to cover this period. Like for then you're able to give like to the other person that was hit harder. And everybody's working together. In our lab, um, what we, we've done, like we're lucky. I was like me, Rihanna, and Francisco, we're lucky enough to get uh, three different grants, each one of us to do like a COVID work. But what we did is we purchased like cells and reagents that other people would also have access. And then we're like, look, things you do, like the doors are open. If you guys need cells, media or whatever, or if yes. you need us to do experiments, you, let yes. us know. We can do preliminary studies. So we've done some preliminary studies for other people as well. As like, I don't mind stimulating an extra set of plates when I'm plating my cells. So it's like, just let us know how can yes. we help anyone to be able to do it. I was like, as you said, I'm not a millionaire, so I won't be able to give you money, but I can help you with my work. I can yeah. help you with like whatever um, can from uh, have from me. So you know what that does, you and Rianne, you exemplified what I said earlier, and that's remember the human before the scientist, right? Help them and know the struggles that they're feeling right now. While you may not see it come back to you directly, Gudo, that will come back to you in different kinds of ways. That you, you want to keep your colleagues, right, if, if you possibly can. I, I don't know what this is going to look at at the outset, but I, 
that encouraged me, encourages me so much. All right. I, and I know I can go back and, and do a better job to let the younger people in my department know I've got their back. Right. And, and I mean that financially to an extent and otherwise. So what a good thing. Bravo to you. <laughs> no, yeah, to everyone. But it, <clears throat> one thing that's nice to see is like how people are being resilient and how really like the sense of community is coming across uh, in many uh, other places that I have my, my friends and everything. It is worrisome, like what's happening, but um, pushing through. And hopefully we're looking at the end walking closer to the end of the tunnel. I had my first vaccine last week. It oh, pays I can't wait. to be old. <laughs> I can't wait to my, our lab technician told me today that she got her ladder and I was like, yeah, it's coming, getting closer. Now I know someone that shares an office with me that had it. I was like, yay. No, but it's- Yeah, well, we will get there. But so if, if well, this is going to sound weird, but if you think about it, we've been pretty well trained to be resilient as scientists because think of how much we have to work through things that fail and that aren't what you expect, right? And you're constantly, you've got plan A, B, C, D. Oh my goodness, that's, as scientists have, have a, well, you hope you find resilience along the way. So. Yeah, I wrote a piece for uh, the ISH newsletter uh, talking about like it was uh, our the you know, mentorship like our committee page and I was talking about resilience and and you know when I was reading like articles of like psychology articles like people talking about it and that hit me I was like it is true we already built that up like imagine how many no's you got like how many questions unanswered questions in conferences that you know we're like oh freaking out or brought us down but like but we went through, we pushed through. So like, <laughs> we have that, don't forget about that. So, and then that's what I wrote about. It's like, yeah, guys, don't, don't forget. Like you do have resilience leaves like inside of you. Just find out where the switch is and yeah. turn it and on. And it's okay to have Yes, and it is perfectly okay to have days where it's hard to show that resilience. <laughs> yeah. It's not gonna show up. Uh, and to let yourself feel that way and then say, all right, it, uh, you feel that, that's an honest feeling and, and, and you deal with it. I have had many of those days in this past year, especially taking care of a disabled son who didn't get to go the day. I thought, you know, are, are we going to get through this week? Hmm, yeah, yeah, we'll get through this week. <laughs> so yeah. being patient with yourself and being patient with the process can be hard. Uh, but goodness, haven't we had to learn more patience this last year? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's hard for this Greek Irish girl, Gudo. But boy, have I learned! <laughs> yeah, imagine for this Italian uh, Latin guy, <laughs> you know, like a <laughs> guy with like Latin blood. The boy was like quickly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Oh, this this must be why we get along so well, Gudo. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> well, Stephanie, like, oh, that that's like, it's being like a long one, but it's being like amazing. So. Thank you so much so for like, you know, giving us the time. And I apologize that we went over the hour. Um, what am I doing? I'm talking to one of my favorite people uh, and about some of the most important things. No, I, and I mean that. Uh, so thank you right, to you and to Francine and to Ish for asking me to be part of this. Know that I'm always there. This young man that I'm talking to knows my email. Contact me if there's any way that I can help you. 